Amen. So we are digging into the last section of 2 Corinthians. We're going to be doing a chapter and a half, but it's a pretty short section there. And so you're going to want to have 2 Corinthians opened up. But I want to remind you just a little bit of where we've been. So the reason we're doing this study is that a lot of us have experienced some hardship or frustration in our lives. And this book is the book that tells us how to deal with it. It doesn't tell us how to deal with it on the surface. If you want the easy how to deal with hardship and frustration, you read Philippians, because Philippians is the book about joy in the midst of trials. This is the book, 2 Corinthians, is the book where we see Paul in the midst of his own trials, and we just kind of watch how he deals with it, and we learn some lessons from that. Let me remind you of the key verse. We learned it last week, but we've been talking about it this whole series. The key verse comes from chapter 12, verses 9 and 10. It says this, Paul, in response to his prayer, he was asking for God to relieve a hardship from his life. And he says, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties for when I'm weak, then I'm strong. There's this idea that Paul reveals there that God's power is made perfect in human weakness and that when we embrace our own weaknesses, that's the place where God can show up and bring his strength. And so for the past few weeks, we've been talking about how we can be stronger, but a lot of us being stronger requires us to receive our weakness and walk in it, step in it, accept that it's real. And so that's kind of where we've, been, where we've been over the last few weeks, but I also want to remind you of the narrative and why Paul is in the position that he's in. So remember, here's the Apostle Paul, and he's traveling throughout the ancient world, and his desire is to spread the news about Jesus. Well, he finds himself in a city called Corinth. And Corinth is this cosmopolitan area, kind of like Las Vegas, New York, Los Angeles, all rolled into one. It's the, this little isthmus connecting the northern part of Greece to the southern part of Greece, and there's water on both sides, and it's only two miles wide. And so a lot of traffic goes right through Corinth. Anyone who's sailing from the west to the east or the east to the west, frequently they don't sail around Greece. They sail right up to the city of Corinth, take all their stuff off the boat, walk two miles with it, put it on another boat, and then sail off the other port. Or anyone in the northern part of Greece who wants to get to the southern part of Greece, they walk right through Corinth. And so this was the cosmopolitan area. It had all the coolest things. You might not know this, but the ancient world had something called the Olympic Games, right? You've heard of them. But bigger than the Olympic Games in the ancient world were the Corinthian Games, The Corinthian games were more prestigious than the Olympic games, and in fact, they were a bigger deal all around, because Corinth was a bigger deal all around. So Paul shows up there, and when he gets there, he's in this environment of all these people thinking all these new thoughts, and he says, I got the best thing for you. Guess what? God became a human being. He walked on this earth. His name is Jesus. He 
lived a perfect life, died on the cross for your sins, rose again three days later, and he is alive today to give you strength in your life. Do you want to follow that? And the people in Corinth were like, that sounds great. We love that idea. We want to follow that. And so Paul starts this church there. Well, then he spends about a year and a half trying to teach them how to live and what to believe. And then he leaves and he goes back to his home base of Antioch and eventually makes his way to another city called Ephesus. And from Ephesus, he hears a report that things aren't going well in Corinth. So he writes them a letter. It's a letter that we have as 1 Corinthians. He writes them the letter and he says in the letter, you got to get your act together. You got to start believing in Jesus wholeheartedly. You got to start following him wholeheartedly. You got to get some of your behaviors right. And also, you're paying too much attention to all these traveling leaders that are coming through your area, giving you the latest new theories and ideas. And Paul says, We're going to be focused on Jesus. So just focus on the simplicity of Jesus and pay attention to what I've told you. So he's trying to reestablish his leadership, point them to Jesus, and actually get their behavior in line with what it means to follow Jesus. Well, he sends that letter to them. They get the letter, they read the letter, they don't like the letter, and the report comes back to Paul. They're not going to do it. So he says, okay, my relationship with them is kind of broken now. I got to fix it. So he makes a personal visit. He goes there. He makes a personal visit. And while he's there, the opposition he faces is so harsh, so strong, that he's embarrassed, he's wounded, he's hurt, he's frustrated, and he runs away, vowing not to come back. He goes north to Macedonia, and he says, I'm not coming back again. Instead, he writes them another letter. And this letter is harsh. This letter is painful. This letter is aggressive. This letter is so aggressive, so harsh, so painful that no one kept it till today. We've lost it. But that letter was effective. His harshness was effective. Not to everybody, but some people got it. And some people turned around and some people started following the right path. And so then the word comes back to Paul. They're kind of doing it. And Paul's like, oh, maybe there's hope for them. So he plans to visit them a third time. But before he visits them a third time, he's going to write them one more letter to set the stage. And that's the letter we call 2 Corinthians. And we've been working through it. And the reason it's important to us is that this letter has two layers of meaning. On the first surface layer of meaning, it's Paul, the follower of Jesus, the apostle of Christ, trying to teach a church what it means to be righteous, trying to teach a church what it means to follow Jesus, and in fact, trying to teach the church to pay attention to Paul. So Paul's defending himself, and he's giving them a lot of truth, he's giving them a lot of doctrine, and that's all on this top level. But on the layer right underneath it, we get to see Paul the suffering leader. Paul the guy who's hurt and wounded by broken relationships. Paul the guy who has tried his best to lead other people well, and yet they're just not following well, and so it's hardship, hardship, hardship. And because we get to see Paul, we get to see how Paul deals with that hardship. And so the second layer of lessons is really for us to say, what does it mean for us to deal with hardship and frustration and pain? And so that's the second layer of, of lessons from this book. Now, I don't know which one has been more meaningful to you over this past series. Maybe for you, you just needed to hear some of the doctrine. You just needed to hear some of the truth. Maybe for some of you, it's that second layer where you're watching Paul deal with his own personal pain and suffering, and that's given you some perspective. For me, it's definitely been that second one. And so I, remind you, I want to remind you of just a few of the lessons that kind of we've learned over the past couple of weeks. Uh, I put them all in the note sheet there in the live event, but basically God is comforting us in the midst of our 
pain so that we can comfort others. God's the one who brings abundance into the midst of our poverty so that we can be a blessing to others. God's the one who allows hardship and frustration into our lives so that we draw closer to him as our source of strength. God is the one who strengthens us when we're weak so that, and we haven't learned that lesson yet. Why? God strengthens us when we're weak, but why? At the end of the book, we get that lesson. And I'll just give it to you. It's so that we can strengthen others. Because at the end of the book, Paul gives up trying to teach them anything new. He's done trying to teach them anything new. He's just going to give some concluding words that are on his heart. And so this is our last glimpse into Paul's heart. And what we will find is that Paul would say, the reason I'm doing all this stuff is so that I could strengthen you. The reason I'm enduring all this stuff is so I can strengthen you. Uh, let's jump into it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're going to look at verse 14. Paul says, now I'm ready to visit you for the third time. And I will not be a burden to you, because what I want is not your possessions, but you. After all, children should not have to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. So I will very gladly spend for you everything I have and expend myself as well. If I love you more, will you love me less? Be that as it may, I, may, I have not been a burden to you. Yet, crafty fellow that I am, I caught you by trickery. Did I exploit you through any of the men I sent you? I urged Titus to go to you, and I sent our brother with him. Titus did not exploit you, did he? Did we not walk in the same footsteps by the same spirit? Just pause there for a moment. Remember, Paul is snarky and sarcastic. So that line in there where he says, but I caught you. That's because other people are saying that Paul was tricking them. And so Paul is using their own words against him, and he said, ah, but I caught you by trickery. He doesn't mean he actually caught them by trickery. He means you're accusing me of catching you by trickery, and guess what? You've got no evidence. Titus was authentic. I've been authentic. There's no trickery involved in all of this stuff. Verse 19, have you been thinking all along that we've been defending ourselves to you? We have been speaking in the sight of God as those in Christ, and everything we do, dear friends, is for your strengthening. There's the key line. Everything I do, I do it for you. That's what he's doing. He's saying, listen, all of my stuff, all of my hardship, all of my pain, all of my frustrations, all of this stuff that I've been working on has not been me trying to defend myself. It's been me trying to strengthen you. I might have told you some harsh words, but it's me trying to strengthen you. I might have sounded like I was defending myself, but it's actually me just trying to strengthen you. He says, I am speaking as one with God in me, and I am trying to strengthen you. Paul says, blunt, I want you to be stronger. Now, in order for us to get a glimpse into Paul's heart, and I think pull the lesson out of this final section, what I want to do is I want to put my words to Paul's thoughts to summarize each of the concepts of his last chapter. 
So as we go through this last chapter, I just want to kind of summarize for you the thing that is on Paul's mind so that by the end of it, we can get an idea of what's really on his heart and maybe take our lesson from that. And the first one is that he wants the Corinthians to be stronger. He's doing everything that he's doing to make them stronger. Well, Paul, what are you doing? Well, he's told us a lot of things already, but he's also telling them a couple more things. He says, I'm going to visit you. And when I visit you, I won't be a burden on you. That's important. Paul says, I'm going to visit you, but I'm not going to be a burden on you. That means I'm coming to visit, but you don't have to find a hotel for me. I'm coming to visit, but you don't have to prepare any meals for me. I'm coming to visit, but you don't have to give me a place to stay. I'm coming to visit, and I won't be a burden on you. This is Paul saying, listen, hang on a second. If you paid attention to my last chapter, you realize that my goal in your life is to bring you to Jesus and get out of the way. Paul is the best possible leader. He's a nothing leader. He's a transparent leader. He's a leader who says, you can see the goal, but I don't want you to see me. I'm going to take you to Jesus and then I'm going to get out of the way. I'm going to be, I I don't want to be a burden to you in any way. Think about lifting weights. The weight itself is the thing that makes you stronger. You don't need your spotter to sit on top of the weight as you're trying to lift it. That's not the job of the spotter. The job of the spotter is to stay out of the way unless you need a little bit of help. And Paul is like, listen, you're doing the work. You're getting stronger. It's God at work in you. I just don't want to be a burden. I don't want to be in the middle of it at all. There's another reason he says that, though. It's because parents shouldn't be a burden on their children. We all know that children are a burden on their parents, right? That's the way it's supposed to work. It's not the other way around. Paul doesn't say, I am your father in the faith, and that's why you owe me. No, he says it the other way. He says, I'm your father in the faith, and I will continue to spend my life on you. I will continue to lay out all the cash and all the responsibility so that you can just become who you should be. Paul says authentically, I want you to be stronger. That's what he wants. And he is willing to absorb all of the pain, all of the hardship. And so the next thing he would say is, I want you to be stronger. I don't want to be a burden on you. The next thing he would say is, and I'm willing to suffer even more. I'm willing to suffer even more than I already have. Take a look at verse 20 here. He says this, For I am afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. I fear that there may be discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, slander, gossip, arrogance, and disorder. I'm afraid that when I come again, my God will humble me before you, and I will be grieved over many who have sinned earlier and have not repented of the impurity, sexual sin, and debauchery in which they've indulged. Paul's like, oh, there's nothing worse when the parent comes to the child and realizes all the crud the child has been in. And the parent is like, ah, I tried so hard. I worked so hard. I've invested so much. And this is what you do with my investment. This is how you're living your life. These are the choices you're making. And so Paul says, I'm going to show up and we might not be who we want to meet. 
I, I might not see you the way I want to see you because I might see you as a whole bunch of people who are still doing the wrong things, a whole bunch of people who are still not following my guidance, a whole bunch of people who still have a relationship problem with me. He says, but guess what? I'm coming anyway. See, this is Paul saying, I want you to be stronger, and so I'm coming to you even though it's probably going to be painful again. Before, it was painful and I ran away. Now, I'm ready for it. And it might be painful again, but it's worth it for me to show up. But there is something that's different. See, before, when he showed up, he experienced pain and he ran away. Now, things are different. Because now, Paul has more strength. And he says it to them. He says, this time I'm coming with strength. Last time I came in weakness. Last time I ran away in weakness. But I have been spending some time with God over the past couple of weeks, past couple of months, maybe a couple of years. I've been spending some time with God. And guess what? I have been strengthened and I am now coming with the strength of God at my side. Take a look at what he says here in verse 22. Actually, it's not 22, it's chapter 13, verse 1. He says, this will be my third visit to you. Every matter must be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. I already gave you a warning when I was with you the second time. I now repeat it while absent. On my return, I will not spare those who sinned earlier or any of the others since you are demanding proof that Christ is speaking through me. He is not weak in dealing with you but is powerful among you. For to be sure, he was crucified in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we will live with him in our dealing with you. Let me tell you something. You heard about Jesus, right? He was crucified, right? The Romans killed him, dead, buried. He's in a tomb. Three days later, he walks out alive. Do you think that's powerful? Yeah, that's powerful. And Paul says, well, guess what kind of power I've got in me? The power of the resurrected Christ is in me. And I'm bringing it to you. And so as I told you last time, people are not getting away with it this time. I am coming. I am coming to you with the power of God. I hope to find you doing the right things. Because we can do this the easy way or the hard way. And if we do it the easy way, I'll show up and I'll be the person you want me to be, kind and supportive and just encouraging and maybe even a little bit entertaining. And you will be the kind of people I want you to be, people focused on Jesus who love each other and who receive me. But if we don't find each other as the people we want to find each other, if I don't find you the way I want to find you, then you will definitely find me the way you don't want to find me. Because this time, Paul says, I'm coming with strength. You thought I was weak, but God's power is made perfect in weakness. And I'm coming at you. This is his threat. This is Paul threatening punishment for those people who have remained in sin. Gee, Paul, that sounds kind of harsh. I thought you're closing out this letter. Oh yeah, it's definitely harsh because he's got reasons. Look at verse 5. His reasons are, I want you to pass the test. Verse 5, he says, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless, of course, you fail the test? See, Paul says, I want you to be stronger, so I'm coming to you. I don't want to be a burden on you. 
But what I will do is I will suffer for you continually. It's just this time I'm bringing the strength because I want you to pass the test. It's an interesting concept. He says, pass the test. When I was in high school and in junior high and in elementary school, my school participated in a number of different competitions. And you might know that I'm a little competitive. So like last night, there was this bowling thing that the guys went out on. And anytime the guys in the church do anything that is in the slightest bit competitive, I have to really ask myself whether or not I should go. Because I've got a little bit of a problem. You see, my problem is that I personally believe that I'm better than all y'all at most sports and things. And I don't really like reality creeping into that. Because my personal delusion is quite attractive to me. And when I show up in an environment where there might be some other guys who are better than I am at a particular kind of thing, then one of my big challenges is I got to step up. I got to start showing myself for who I really believe I am and who I really think I am. And so I need to prove myself and I want to win and I want to this, I want to be better and all that kind of stuff. And so there's just a little bit of a problem, especially if I'm in an environment with other church people. It just is possible that in the competitive world, I might stop being a pastor for a few moments. I might stop trying to lift you up and support you and help you be stronger, and I might just want to win. And so I have to ask myself, should I go to this? Now, my sickness was put into me by my mom. Um, she is more competitive than I am. She and my sister, I think, are super competitive. I think perhaps even more than I am. Maybe not. It all depends on who you ask. But my mom, from my earliest days, was trying to coach me in all ways to pass the test. And I'm not just talking about academics. I'm talking about every test. So in my school, we had these competitions, little competitions. We had this uh, poetry competition where you had to get a poem. You had to memorize a poem. You had to recite the poem. And then people judged you on how well you recited the poem. And then if you got a blue ribbon, you could go on to the next level and compete in like the, the regional area or something like that. And so I would get a poem and I would come home and I'd be like the walrus and the carpenter were walking on the shore one day, whatever that poem is. Or, or some days it wasn't a poem. It's like uh, the Gettysburg Address four score and seven years ago, our father brought our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in, and and my mom would step in and she'd go no. For weeks she'd been being like uh, so Jeff you got your poem memorized you got your speech memorized you got your poem memorized no you get it memorized she'd have it memorized. She'd have it memorized, and then I would, she would say, okay, so I want to hear it. And I would say, okay, let me tell it to you. Four score and seven years ago. No. And she'd be like, this. This is how you do it. Four score and seven years ago. Like super hyper dramatic. And I'd be like, oh my goodness, no, I can't do that. Well, okay, so here's the deal. My mom knows the secret. Anytime you get a fifth grader to be super dramatic and actually have the words right, they win. It's just like the thing. So this girl in my, in my class, uh, one year, she won with Sarah Cynthia Sylvia Snout, would not take the garbage out. And just the whole time, she was just playing it up as super dramatic. And here's the deal. That year, I didn't. That year, I wasn't trying to follow my mom's advice. That year, I was trying to do my own thing. And guess what? She won the blue ribbon, and I didn't win the blue ribbon. And that was not having it for my family. And so as a result, for all those years, my mom, whether it was me and my poetry or the speech thing, or it was my 
my sister and cheerleading. Jody would be like trying to learn some cheerleading routine for tryouts, and she'd be like, ready? Okay, we are the warriors. We're here to say. And my mom would be like, no. Do it like this. We are the warriors. We're here to say. And my sister would be like, mom. Finally, she did it the way my mom told her to do it, and she won. She got onto the cheerleading squad. First try, first tryouts, it just, it just worked. Because see, here's the deal. Every single time I followed my mom's advice in one of these things, I won. Every single time I have followed another person who's a good leader, I find success. And my mom didn't care how much effort it took for her. She didn't care how embarrassed she might look if someone else was watching her train her children how to be dramatic on stage. She didn't care about any of that stuff. Why? Because she was competitive and she wanted her children to win. And when we did, And so that was the deal. That was the environment. Win, win, win. She wanted us to pass the test. It happened academically. It happened with these competitions all over the place. My mom wanted us to pass the test, and she didn't care what it meant for her or what kind of effort she would have to go through. And I want to tell you, that's what the Apostle Paul feels like here. That's what the Apostle Paul feels like here. And that's what I've experienced, too. Anytime I have followed the guidance of a good leader, I have had success. But on the flip side, many, many, many times when I have tried to be a good leader, I have encountered failure. Because see, if I follow someone else who's a good leader, then I experience the success. But if I'm trying to be a good leader, my success depends on whether or not that person follows the advice right? Maybe I'm a bad leader and they follow my advice, or maybe I'm a good leader and they don't follow my advice, but there's so many opportunities for me to experience that failure. But I tell you what, the apostle Paul is right there in that spot and he says, guess what? My whole desire is to make you stronger so I don't care what people think of me. Take a look at the next little section here. Verse 6, He says, and I trust that you will discover that we have not failed the test. Now we pray to God that you will not do anything wrong, not so that people will see that we have stood the test, but so that you will do what is right even though we may seem to have failed. For we cannot do anything against the truth, but only for the truth. Paul says, listen, I don't care if people think that I've failed. Paul says, it doesn't matter to me if they look at me and they think I'm a failure. I'm relying on the truth. The truth is going to be the truth, whatever the truth is. Maybe I am a failure. Maybe I'm not a failure. It doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter what people think of me. What matters is, are you getting stronger? And so that's why Paul is like, listen, I can come and I can be harsh with you. I can write you a harsh letter. I can bring the pain to you sometimes because I don't care what people think of me. I only care, are you getting stronger? That's where Paul's heart is. He says, everything about me right now is to strengthen you. Take a look at this next little section here, verse 9. He says, we are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. Wow. And our prayer is that you may be fully restored. This is why I write these things when I'm absent. That when I come, I may not have to be harsh in my use of authority. The authority the Lord gave me for building you up, not for tearing you down. Finally, brothers and sisters, 
Rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That's Paul at the end of the letter just basically saying, listen, let me summarize what I've wanted you to be all about. I want you to be fully restored to God, to each other, to me. I want you to do the right thing. I want you to live in peace. I want you to be of one mind. I want you to believe the right things. But this is all for your benefit, for your good. Why? Because Paul says twice there at the end, he says, God gave me authority. And my authority has one purpose, to build you up. That's what Paul says. My authority has only one purpose, We are glad whenever we are weak, but you are strong. See, at the end of the day, everything that's on Paul's heart comes down to this. He personally is following Jesus. And as a person who's following Jesus, his whole entire goal is to strengthen someone else. His whole entire goal is to build someone else up. His calling, his mission, his purpose, everything about it is to build someone else up. So here's the deal. Why does Paul endure his suffering? Because when he is weak, someone else could be made strong. Why does Paul go through all the hardships? Because when he faces difficulty, someone else doesn't have to. Why does Paul stress so much over the health and the life of these different churches? Because if he's praying for them, if he's reaching out to them, if he's doing what he can do, then maybe someone, maybe someone can get stronger. See, that's what Paul is all about. He's like, it's all about me receiving my strength from God in the midst of my weakness so that I can pass God's strength onto you and strengthen you. So I want to give you just three things to take this home with. When you get a glimpse of what's really on Paul's heart, I think there are three ways that we can apply this. Number one, authentically, I want you to test Paul. I want you to start there. There are a lot of people who read what the Apostle Paul writes, and they pick and they choose. They pick and they choose different parts of Paul's writings. They say, I like this part. I don't really like that part. They'll say, I want to follow this part of Paul. I don't want to follow that part of Paul. So Paul might say something about sexual morality, and you say, hey, I want to live by that one. And he'll say something about greed, and you say, I don't want to follow that one. Or he'll say something about uh, idol worship, and you say, yeah, I'm good with that one. And then he'll say something about drunkenness, and you're like, no, I don't want to follow that one. See, the Apostle Paul will say lots of different things. And we have a tendency to pick and choose between them all. And here today, I want to give you an opportunity to do so by doing one thing. Test Paul against his claim. His claim is that he is writing what he's writing to strengthen the people in their relationship with God and to strengthen people in their life. And so I'm giving you the opportunity to test Paul and to ask yourself this question. Paul claims he is writing for my good. He claims he is writing to strengthen me. My question is, if he's not, I should have a reason for it. And I should have a pretty good reason. Because the truth of the matter is, anytime a parent tells you something that's for your own good, you don't like it. So it's not a matter of whether you like what he says or not. It's a matter of whether or not you trust his intent. 
whether or not you trust his source of knowledge? And if the answer to that is yes, then the rest is decided. What Paul says, I do. Because he's speaking as a representative of Jesus who wants me to get to Jesus so he can get out of the way. Test him. And then make a decision about it. Number two, I want you to test yourselves. When I was a kid, this freaked me out. You know, because I read this passage, it says, test yourself to see whether you're in the faith. And I'm a kind of person who likes to pass tests, right? So, so I wanted to know, well, how do I test myself? How do, I, how do I test myself to see if I'm in the faith? And so, of course, the answer is, well, you just pray the prayer again. You know, because there's this prayer. There's this magic sinner's prayer that you learn when you're a little kid. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. You help me go to heaven, something along those lines. You know, and so you pray the magic Jesus prayer. And uh, so what I would do is whenever I would come face to face with this sort of question of, okay, test yourself, are you in the faith? It all just boiled down to, did I pray the Jesus prayer in the last five minutes? And maybe I did, and maybe I didn't. And so sometimes I would just need to pray it all over again and say, okay, let's pray this whole thing over again. Let's start over. Because you know what? If you really follow Jesus, you probably should look a little bit like Jesus. And there's this one passage in the Bible, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and oh my goodness, self-control. Oh, oh, that was the thing. That was the thing. You know, mom, I came home, I got another blue slip from the teacher telling you that I talked too much and got two checks by my name on the board and you need to sign it and my mom would give me that look, you know, that look, the look that, of course, you didn't pass this test today, and I would feel that guilt and that shame and that frustration, and then I'd ask myself, okay, so I'm examining myself. I don't have self-control. I don't have anything. Maybe I'm not even a Jesus follower. Ah! And there was this one day I fell asleep for a nap because I was hiding from my mom because she was going to spank me, and uh, when I woke up, when I woke up, I got out of the bed and because where I was hiding, and uh, I looked around the house, and she was gone. She was gone, and I was convinced that the rapture had come. Jesus had come back, and he'd taken all the taken all the real Christians, and I was left by myself. And I was like, "Oh my goodness, this is this is punishment," you know. So I didn't take my spanking. I hid from my mom, and then Jesus comes back, and I didn't get to go. It was one of the worst things in the world. So here's the question: I say, test yourself, and I think some of us might be inclined to just go to that place of super guilt and shame. Well, gee. If Paul says we should examine ourselves to see if we're in the faith, don't you suppose maybe Paul, because he wants us to pass the test, maybe he would give us a test that we could pass? The question is, are you in the faith? Not were you good yesterday. The question is, are you in the faith? What is the faith? It's a recognition that Jesus came and he died on the cross for your sins and three days later he rose again and he lives today to give you strength in the midst of your hardships he's there and he will continue to carry you all the way until the day that he returns that's the faith and that's testable did Jesus do it? yeah I passed that test Does Jesus promise me strength? Yeah, I passed that test. Am I currently going through some sort of hardship 
that I'm trying to skip out of because I don't trust God enough to be with me in the midst of it. The one who has faith says, I trust God enough to be with me in the midst of it. Test yourselves. See whether you're in the faith or whether you're just in the knowledge or whether you're just in the habit or if you're actually in the faith. And then that leads me to the third thing to take this home. And it's be willing to be tested. You see, we are people who need to test ourselves, but the real question is when the testing comes from outside of us, as it always will, are we going to receive it? And I need to be a person who's willing to receive that testing. Because in the midst of that testing, in the midst of that hardship, in the midst of that pain, I will either grow closer to God or I will be a better blessing to someone else. All I know is that good will come out of that hardship. It always will come out of that hardship when I'm walking through it as a person of faith. Because God is at work in the midst of this hardship and either this hardship will bring me closer to Him or it will make me a better blessing to someone else. Those are both great things because my job my job as a person who should be close to God getting my strength from God and strengthening someone else and if I'm living in that flow if I'm living in that spot in the middle where God strengthens me and I strengthen someone else then I'm experiencing life the way I was designed to experience it and so be willing to be tested Now, I'm not sure exactly where this lines up for you in your life today, and so I want to ask you to take a few moments in quiet reflection. We're going to sing a final song, and during this final song, we're going to have the prayer team up front again. And we're just going to enter into a time of reflection and prayer. And during that time, I want to invite you to simply pray and say, God, do I need to get more strength from you? Do I need to be strengthening someone else? What needs to happen in my life right now? And then you just spend that time with God and try to listen and hear what he might whisper into your heart or the strength that he's trying to breathe into your soul in the midst of it. And let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.